The guest on episode four of Show Me Shit Columbus is a very talented creator and influencer in the way of fine art. He's a singer-songwriter and an instrumental musician. He's helped develop bands in the Columbus area and has lended his talents to other Columbus musicians who are also making art and representing creativity in this wonderful city. We'll split the honors of calling Columbus, Ohio his hometown with sister city Athens, Ohio, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, today, I welcome founder and lead guitarist and singer of the Columbus-based post-rock band Try Not to Die, rock and roll veteran David Ramsey. Hi. How's it going? Good. So, like, I was trying to remember all the bands that you've been in, and there's a few that I have seen and, and um, I remember fondly, like AFA. That was the first. That was a good. That was a great one. That was back in the day. That was uh, eighty nine, ninety, um, Westerville area. Um, there was a lot of bands that came out of that that uh, geographical location. Seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mind Child. I'll put some pictures up too. Of yeah, some stuff. <laughs> Mind Child. Uh, Knee Jerk Reaction. Fifty Seven Megaton. Uh, One Down, Closer Than Far, Feast of the Monolith, La Palma, Midnight Animal Choir, Move Home, Life in the Universe, Church Camp. Yeah. And uh, currently Try Not to Die. And also another one I'm doing currently is I play for Bella Witt, her solo project. She's a singer, keyboard player, piano player. And I'm part of the backing band. Okay. Well, Try Not to Die is her backing band. Uh, I s- oh, okay. I so didn't know that. It's like, so the three of us are Try Not to Die, and then the three of us are also her backing band for her solo stuff. Okay. So we're kind so of two bands. So Bella Witt is in Try Not to Die. No. No. She, yeah. so this is something to completely separate. Right. Try Not to Die is backing her. Yeah. So um, where... Uh, where did you meet her? Through our drummer, Al, Al Folk. He, uh, I was looking for a drummer for Try Not to Die, and he messaged me and said he was interested, and he's like, by the way, I also have this other project that I'm doing that we need a guitar player for. I was like, sure, that sounds good. I listened to the music, and it's some really cool songwriting. I really was feeling it. Yeah. You know, I, was inspired by it and ideas came to mind for it so i felt like it was a good thing to do all right um well you've been playing in columbus for going on 25 years probably a quarter of a century almost 30 almost 30 has it been that long 91 (laughs) <laughs> 91 yeah 91 Jesus. i started playing shows in columbus um so i was just kind of looking through your influences and uh there's a lot of commonality in what i personally like i mean we're talking you know starting in the early 80s with metallica and, and mr bungle and mr bungle is actually in my opinion Post rock. I learned how to play guitar to Metallica. Like that was when I first started playing guitar. I just learned every Metallica song, yeah. and that was kind of how I got my foot in the door of learning how to figure out songs and learning how to play and 
riffs and solos and right. power chords. And... We probably share the same experiences as having like pretty much a Metallica cover band in somebody's basement <laughs> or garage. Yeah. You know, uh, and Mr. Bungle is kind of opening my mind that things don't have to be verse, chorus, verse, chorus. There's an outside the box kind of thinking to songwriting where you can do whatever you want. Right. (laughs) Experimental. Like they really showed me how far out the box you can be with it. And have fans. Yeah. Have people really interested in it. And they did well, yeah. Um, And then, you know, everybody who came from our area or our era can say Led Zeppelin for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, What was interesting in the 90s was you had Metallica who kind of went from – uh, Good to bad. <laughs> I mean, th- there was a part where they were kind of like speed slash thrash metal with Slayer, and we all kind of learned a lot of Slayer too. And uh, then there was a time where bands like Faith No More, you know, Mr. Bungle, they kind of opened that other door. Yeah. And with time signatures, Rush, you know, um, oh, Neil, yeah. Neil Pert. When I was a kid, that was one of the first records I ever put on was moving pictures from Rush. Yeah. I'd sneak into my sister's room when she wasn't home and go through her records, and she had moving pictures. And that was one of the first ones I put on a record player, put the needle down, and listened to the record all the way through. Yeah. I was eight years old, maybe, something like that. Right. I love Rush. That the, the the fascination with vinyl records is amazing. Like just just to think how that is all made. Was it mm-hmm. you that posted a a video recently? The pressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating how like that whole like how does that work? Even watching it being done, you're like, yeah. nah, I don't understand. That. Right. <laughs> so the the white octave. Uh, Not a lot of people know about them, but they were like the birth of emo indie rock kind right. of like 2001ish yeah i mean that was a huge album for they get so little credit for what a big impact they had on music yeah uh they remind me of early early get up kids um and uh some so there's a couple other bands that uh so there's the get up kids and like mates of state just as weird where like it, just like with every, almost with everybody sometimes i think that like the people's first albums are always the best the singer guitar player for the white octave was the original guitar player for cursive oh okay so then he left cursive and started the white octave which were they from north carolina yeah okay but yeah he's a lawyer so i think that's why he left Cursive, maybe, because yeah. he had a he was practicing law, so he couldn't really like tour yeah. all over. But the White Octave did a couple of short little stints of touring. They came to Columbus like three times, I think. That reminds me of um, was it like somebody in Weezer? Some kind of a Rivers. He's a Harvard. Graduate, yeah. He quit Weezer for like four years to go to college. Yeah. And then when he graduated, came back to Weezer. Why wouldn't you? (laughs) Um, So I had to actually look up standards. 
They're new. Okay. Yeah. Or he's new. He's new. It's a one guy basically. One, one guy. Okay. He's had three or four drummers so far, and he's only had this project going for a year and a half, two years or so. But it's he's been a huge influence on my guitar tapping mm-hmm. techniques. Yeah. I think he's just very original, and the melody lines that he comes up with are just really beautiful stuff, I think. I listened to, when I was setting up today, I listened to a good share of, I I guess it was the Friends record, because yeah. it was, is that the only one that he's got? There's one before that that's just standards. Um, but this one had the same kind of album artwork, so I think it was probably it. And it was uh, really good. It's a lot of stuff that I enjoy. Um and so I was looking at this. I see the Mars Volta. Mm-hmm. Now explain why um, they, because they have a really unique sound. Vocally, I think he's had a pretty big influence on me with the higher register. I end up kind of up in the high range yeah. a lot of the time when I'm singing. Yeah, um, That's just easier to belt it out when you're up higher like that for me anyway. Get more volume out of it of growing up with really bad PA systems that right. you have to try and sync through. Yeah, <laughs> like Bernie's, for example. Yeah, trying I, to play a show there, you have to be a loud singer if you want to be heard. I tried to. <laughs> I went to the recording workshop and I tried to um, run sound afterwards. I'm like, I got a job. I got a gig doing sound at Bernie's. Yeah. It was the worst. Like, <laughs> it was fun for maybe a week. Yeah, and then like after I don't know, you remember Tony? Yeah, the owner. Yeah. Oh man, I'll I'll pay you next week. I'll pay you next week. Um. Anyway, uh, not to I'll probably edit that part out. <laughs> um, rooftops. I listened to them today. I hadn't heard them either. More math rock kind yeah. of tapping stuff. That's really three like, guitar players, no bass player. Okay. And I think there's a horn player. Yeah, I heard some horn in there. Uh, and then Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah. What was that? What was that um, influence there? Uh, I mean, they were around 2000, 2003 through, you know, 2010 or so. I was on the big kind of stoner rock kick, uh, which they had a big hand in starting. The first album was pretty Sabbathy. Yeah, uh, when Josh Homemade was in Caius before Queens of the Stone Age, so that's they were definitely had a big hand in starting Stoner Rock stuff. Um, so then, just Josh's vocal melodies really resonate with me, and a lot of the guitar work that he does is just just catchy yet heavy. Like it has a catchy melody to it, but uh-huh. it's got that rough rock and edge to it i think i heard in an interview one time he said you have to write music that's heavy enough for the guys and pretty enough for the girls at right. the same time that's, <laughs> that's words to live by um so i was trying to remember like uh all the bands that like have influenced me and i'm not really going to get into any any of them from a long time ago but most recent um like do make say think explosions in the sky godspeed be black emperor and then if i want to go back we're talking like trans am do you remember them mm-hmm. trans am check those guys out yeah they were crazy don caballero i know the name yeah don caballero 
it's it's really good good music where where what made you think that like where where what led you from going to basic rock like one down that was a little mathy wasn't it that was just kind of gent, gent, gent. kind of new metal y kind of stuff. That was right around 2001. So it was right when the new metal stuff was hitting big. So we kind of tried to ride that train for a minute. And then I was like, wait, I don't actually like this kind of music. Yeah. And that's when I found the White Octave and was like, this is what I like. like yeah. More emo, indie rock kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like, that's the path I need to go to. But nobody knows what it is yet. So yeah. I'm like, forging this path i mean back then it nobody knew what indie rock was in like 2001 it was unheard of there was alternative rock but there wasn't indie rock wasn't really a thing yet i think probably most people were uh considering the foo fighters kind of like (laughs) alternative rock yeah i mean like uh you had um a lot of people that uh were hardcore indie rock people. They knew, like, they could probably find find what you were talking about. But most people just listen to like CD one hundred and one. Yeah, and uh, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's you know, they're pretty mainstream these days. Yeah, like they're playing stuff, and I'm like, is this alternative rock? I mean, there's a whole lot of keyboards going on. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a there's a, actually a, a channel on Sirius Radio. Um, called the Verge, that's got a lot of it's it's a can, Canadian based channel, but they play a lot of really good music because even their college channels have um gone mainstream. Basically, they play the same. It's sad twenty how, songs over and over again. Like the entire music industry has horse blinders on at this point. Like yeah. it's. One thing, and that's it. There's one style of music as far as mainstream music goes, and they're putting horse blinders on so all of society only knows about this one style of music. That's what's advertised. That's what's on TV. That's what's on mainstream radio. Yeah. Like, and anything else, you're on your own, buddy, basically. Right. We need another Nirvana is what we need to shake things up and, like, bring integrity back to music. How do you think that's going to happen? Uh, I don't know that it will. <laughs> right. At least in our lifetimes. I I would hope that it, it would come at some point, but it's kind of tough. I don't know. With, with the internet, and I mean, who knows what's going to happen with anything. Um, going going back to, like, where you – I was asking you um, where you went from the gingent rock and roll, the hard, hard heavy stuff – to more post rock, so you were listening to the White Octave. That mm-hmm. was more emo, clean guitar for the most part, but just all over the fretboard. And like the real early Modest Mouse stuff was around that time too. And yeah, and not too long after was the first Death Cab for Cutie album. Mm-hmm. Then it started to kind of go that direction, and that start that sound started getting a little more stamina behind it. Do you, would you consider Modest Mouse an influential band for you? Yeah. Their first couple albums had a lot of really good songs on them. Yeah, I've I fucking I love uh Modest Mouse. Uh, earlier shit. I I've, 
some of the later stuff um, kind of turned me off a little bit. Built to Spill was another good one from around that time period. I remember um, listening. It was probably what, what it's twenty twenty, probably about ten years ago, or more. Maybe two thousand eight. I was watching a movie. Oh. What? I forgot to. I just realized I forgot to put Lopan on that list of bands that I was in. Uh, well, you you said that um, you played with Jesse from Lopan, but you were also in Lopan. I, yeah, I, I started Lopan. Me and Jesse started Lopan. And they're still playing. They are, yeah. Um, I was in Lopan for the first two years that uh, they were together. Um, I went personally from uh, listening to rock and roll, like uh, the Get Up Kids, the indie rock type stuff. Um, I'm going to admit Dashboard Confessional. I, they were giving out their tape for free at a Singing Dog Records, I think. It was on, like, they have that display of free stickers or whatnot. Yeah. And there was a cassette. It was the single, like, just a two-song single of the cassette. And I yeah. grabbed one. I was like, that's not bad. Like, it was like uh, Screaming Infidelities or yeah, something. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. on it, yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. I was like, wow. And then I realized that, like, you know... It was it was like the the same I don't know thing over and over, mm-hmm. but like uh, I was listen I was watching a movie, and I was like, whoever whatever whoever is playing the music to this movie needs to like make a record because this <laughs> shit is awesome. And it was that guy. No, oh. it was Explosions in the Sky, uh-huh. and it was like Friday Night Lights or the Thin Red Line or whatever music they did the score for i know they did a couple but so then i just went and listened to everything that they did and then i tried to figure out all the and like i didn't know what that kind of music was man i was just like i'm just new to this and so i already i was already a fan of like tortoise and uh, trans am and don caballero but this was different it was a different it was like spacier, yeah, yeah, more melodic, more like band. Like there's a drummer, there's a bass player, there's two guitars, most of the time, and and it was light. It wasn't like like Mogwai or uh, you know whatever, like those heavier bands. So where <clears throat> where did you um, where um, did you? first hear like uh, we're talking about rush tool tool has uh you know helmet the math rock from the mid 90s um influence are playing but then when when did you f- in, feel that style start really kicking in with you like around 2009 i uh found an ad on craigslist of these guys looking for a singer it was ended up being Lemia Bellis, uh, which my friend Liam played drums for, which I'm still good friends with today. Uh-huh. Um, so I went and tried out with them. We had four or five practices, I think. And then they were like, well, we're just not going to have a singer because they were originally instrumental anyway. And then they broke up like a few months after that. But um, that they were real math rock kind of stuff, right? Like legit math rock kind of stuff. 
and they kind of really sparked my interest. Like this is something I'm, I just kind of feel it in my chest, you know? Right. And then I kind of started to get into it a little bit and then it just kind of weaned off a little bit. And then, uh, my wife and I went and saw, I think it was about 2012. My wife and I went and saw, uh, back with Tira Milos opened up for him. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of really set me on the path. Like, okay, this is what I got to be playing. Like the watching Tiramilos play was just unbelievable. The musicianship that these guys bring on, like, how do you even do that? Right. Like, how, like they go into this, uh, noise section where it's literally just random noise. And then all at once go right back into the song with zero cue. Like, how did you know that that's where you're going back into it? Like I was just completely dumbfounded. Yeah. These guys. What, um, record or song do you recommend 40 rods to the hog's head 40 rods to the hog's head yeah go if you're listening to this go listen to that it's it's a piece of work man (laughs) um so you started getting into that and uh you're listening to these different styles and um that's what really made me start searching it out was going to that show and pinback is pretty mathy kind of stuff too but a little more traditional songwriting but they have some intricate riffs and stuff how do you find the reception do you do you see like a lot mm, of not great no? <laughs> i mean everybody's like wow that was really intense or that was really cool i can't believe you're tapping a good guitar like that yeah and then they're okay thanks and then they walk away and that's the end of it really i mean it's the internet is kind of starting to like Chon is a pretty big math rock band that's yeah. starting to get some exposure. Covet is really starting to get out there until shows got shut down. Right. But I mean, there's been a few bands that are starting to get a little momentum from the math rock genre. Polyphia mm-hmm. is another one. Um, so like I've been on the, the Chon Facebook page for a couple of years. I think a couple of years just cause it's, it's so awesome to see both people trying to learn John songs cause mm-hmm. their, their stuff is just out of control. So tight, you know, it's, I, it would take so much time to, I mean, I would, I don't have that kind of time. Right. But then you also <laughs> have, uh, people like yourself and other musicians that chime in on their, on their, on their page mm-hmm. and, uh, show what they have yeah which is cool i post to their the chon homies page yeah i I see it it's it's cool i mean i I should probably comment more often when i see not just you but other people who are creative i throw likes around like another water yeah (laughs) yeah um so like okay we're gonna focus a little bit more well do you want to play a couple something i can try a song all right we'll go ahead and do that I'll try and do a Try Not to Die song. I don't know how it's going to go. I've never really tried one without the band behind me. Yeah. Or with the track. Yeah, or not just, just <laughs> by myself. Yeah. This is, I have not rehearsed this or anything. Get rid of the reverb there.
It's good. It's great. It's excellent. Um, how, when did you write that? About a year ago. And you've just been jamming it out ever since? Well, I've had some lineup issues. With oh, the band. okay. Oh, right on. Quite a few lineup issues. That's with Try Not to Die. Yeah. What's that song called? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm not sure. Song number one? I forget. For this, for this uh, show, it's song number one. Um. So over the over the years, when it comes to like Columbus and uh, the music scene, where I mean, it, it's pretty much like uh, Twenty One Pilots. That's what we know of Columbus right now. Sad because there's so much more to Columbus than Twenty One Pilots. Uh, but. It's also sad that a lot of the things from what we we remember, like Bernie's mm-hmm. little brothers, it's disappearing. Where do you play now? I mean, when there's not a fucking pandemic. Victories pandemic. is a pretty great uh, venue. Victories on South High, like downtown, mm-hmm. and then uh, also where uh, Shrunken Head. Okay. On King Avenue is a really good venue. Other than that, do you ever do you ever play at the one place down there? Um, there's Space Bar that's a really good venue. Ace of Cups. It's hard, tough to get in there because they're more. They're, that's just tough. I don't want to say you know, the wrong thing or yeah. anything, but it's kind of tough to get in there. It's because they're just always busy. Yeah, they've they've got like bands booked forever. It's a great venue. Yeah. Um, what about uh, that place over by Fifth and High? Scully's. Yeah, you ever play there? It's been uh, 20 years, wow. 15 years probably since I played there. That's kind of more of a rent-the-place-out kind of deal. I oh, think. really? For, at least from what I've gathered. I don't know that they've did that. they been doing regular shows. It just seems like it's more of a, a national band that needs a venue about that size coming through or if somebody wants to rent it out. Or DJs. Oh, okay. They're more of a DJ kind of place now. I haven't been there in 20 years either. Yeah. <laughs> so They do well on the ladies' 80s and, like, the DJ nights and stuff. It's pretty packed. In yeah. There. So you follow the money, I guess. Okay. Uh, it's like there's, like, goth nights. Yeah. Like they have themed nights. Um. So where do you see, like, not yourself, but just, like, the, the state of Columbus music? It's growing for sure. It's always been pretty clicky, but it, it's it's always going to be clicky. Everybody has their group of bands. I try to just be friends with everybody. I want to I want to be a part of everything. I don't want to just be in one set little group. I want to play with as many different bands as possible. But there's people that only want to play with these four or five bands and that's all I'm playing with. I don't want to play with anybody else. Let's shut everybody out. Right. Like, that's not productive. That, yeah. That's just spinning your wheels at that point. You're talking about, like, you know, if you're playing a show and somebody who you usually play with, a different band, they're like, oh, we can't do it. You'd rather be able to just call anybody and have have them feel comfortable 
you know, plant. Set, I've you know. had people turn it. I've offered shows to bands, and they're like not interested. And I just know that it's because wait, they don't know who I am. Like I only want to play with shows with people that I'm actually friends with in real life. Well, there's a lot of bands you don't know in real life that you could be friends that with. are good bands, and you could establish friends with. Yeah. Wow. Um, do you? Uh, <laughs> listen to any other kinds of music like oh yeah do you listen to, like rap or anything like that not really rap or hip-hop or anything i like like 60s 70s r&b stuff but not really rap or hip-hop yeah um i get into a lot of classic rock stuff i'm more rock and roll like i just like guitars and drums and rock and roll yeah that's what i'm into you've always been that way yeah i mean i get into 80s pop because cause it's nostalgic to get into the old 80s pop stuff. Yeah. It's like some uh, old hollow notes. Duran Duran. I mean, it's, oh, there you go. Stuff like that. It's it's fun. I mean, in the 80s, all the popular music from the 80s was just fun kind of stuff. Like, it all had that kind of, hey, we're having fun kind of vibe to it. Like, yeah. Which you don't really see that in rock today. Um, you want to play another song? I'll give it a shot. All right, go ahead. I screwed the last one up pretty bad. Oh, that's Yes. 
All right, that was pretty good. <clears throat> I made it through the whole song. All right. Um, where? What was that one called? I can't make you stay. It has some classic rock feel to it. A little bit, yeah. Um, when you are writing songs like this, what kind of place do you go to? It's whatever's on my mind, really, yeah. at the time. I don't really like writing lyrics. Yeah, it's, neither do I. It's a hassle. It is. But it's a necessary evil. So. Well, to be honest with you, like um, when when I started listening to like your uh, – explosions in the sky and stuff i'm like finally there's a there's something that i can gravitate <laughs> towards that they don't care about words you know it's like awesome yeah so um like sigur ross well they have words that you just don't know what they're saying <laughs> it's like I, all that icelandic stuff but yeah they've got great music um do you like find a melody and then work based based off of that first I'll come up with the guitar first and then kind of start to find a rhythm and a melody for the vocals, generally where it's going to be, and then just find words to fit into that. And are you just like, when it comes to like your tapping and pull on, push off stuff, is that just, um, you're just trying to find like a a scale in there? To... I just start playing around with notes and see what comes out, just start hitting some notes and yeah, what's gonna come out? I don't know. We'll see. It is what it is. <laughs> it might suck. It might not suck. Um, if it sucks, I'll try something else. Do you uh, ever go to drag shows? I have. Do you know? Do you, you know what an X Carver is? Amavita Designs is your resource for unique pageant wigs, glamorously rhinestoned gowns, and dazzling handcrafted jewelry with assiduous glimmer carefully created by nationally acclaimed designer and local artist james duff partnered with central ohio natives chris higgins and tammy peak who both add a touch of class to collectible designs and intricate woodcrafts available on facebook marketplace search amavita designs and go to www.amavitadesigns.com how to get that out of the way
hit the wrong note. It's all right, Dave. <clears throat> David Ramsey. That was. Uh, is that one of your songs from Try Not to Die? Yeah, that's on the album that we're about finished with. Ninety nine percent finished with. It's in the mix mastering process. It's almost done being mixed and mastered. When do you think it's going to be released? Oh, probably in the next couple weeks. It'd be nice to be able to play a show too. It would <laughs> release it. Do they? Do you guys still? I, I've been out of the scene for so long. Do you still have like CDs? Uh, with my last band, uh, Life in the Universe, we had physical CDs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this band was. This is our first record that we're about to be done with. So we're not really sure about that. Uh, with not being able to play a show, it doesn't make sense to dump a bunch of money into CDs. Right. So we might just kind of cross that path when we get there. Yeah. Um, do you have any anything on vinyl? Mm-mm. No? Never have, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it's never, <laughs> it's never <laughs> too late. It's pricey. Yeah. I know somebody who's done, they did a uh, 45, and I think it was like a... Th- thousand dollars maybe yeah. for, for 50 or 60 prints yeah ballpark that's about right yeah <laughs> um and so there's another thing that you do online called the riff of the week yeah on the try not to die facebook page is the main place for it uh, but every week i do like about a 60 second guitar video uh, just writing a new song every week basically just a short little snippet of a song is it something that eventually will be a song not yet nothing nothing none of them have ever become a full song yet but the last one i did uh my bass player was like we should really stretch that one out into a full song and keep it and develop it into something right on and we've talked about it but nothing has has been done yet how often do you guys get together at once a week is it just like uh you you guys focus on banging out like a track like uh well it's been uh, the drummer and bass player i have now i think was middle of january we started playing together uh-huh. maybe end of january um so that's just up until now that they've gotten the set the seven song set down for the album that we recorded was the seven songs that we're doing so they just finally got, learned those songs, got them down nice and solid, and then we recorded them, mm-hmm. and that's where we're at. Like, so where did you record at? We tracked them ourselves. Um, my drummer Al has a studio set up at his dude locker room, and we tracked everything there. And then my friend Joel Shedlock, that was in Life in the Universe with me, he works at Weird Music Studio, and he's doing the mixing and mastering for me. Wow, so they they joined in January, mm-hmm. and they learned seven songs in just a couple months. Yeah, of not real easy songs either. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll link to some of like to your YouTube page. Yeah, I'll link. To that's your... the all the riff of the week videos are on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or the three, the three ones that I put them all on. Okay, uh, looking back over like your the span of. 30 years that you've been in the music industry in Columbus. Um, what have been like the, the, the memories that stand out? Hmm. 
uh, of being in the music scene. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, different shows, different experiences. Playing back in the 90s, it's something that doesn't happen anymore, but in the 90s, playing a show at a keg party at somebody's house. Right. Like, there's a keg in the middle of the room. There's a band set up right next to it. There's a hundred people there, and everybody is feeling pretty loose and yeah. feeling good and having a great time. That doesn't happen anymore. I like, wonder why. Kegs and people don't want to risk the legal ramifications of underage drinking. I believe. Well, I think it's probably also because not of- as much of drinkers too. I mean, like the the younger kids, like. When I was in church camp, we played a lot of house shows. Like, there are still house shows and house venues, mm-hmm. but it's all kind of low-key. Like, we're mellow. Like, we're not going to rage and party and get yeah. wasted. Like, it's more of an intellectual kind of thing. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with the um, the atmosphere and the, you know, the general um, attitude of society in general. Like, in general, like... There's a lot of people who just don't mind their own business and they just want to be I mean look at what's going on now with wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't wear a mask then there's something wrong with you. I feel like if I don't then I'm going to get yelled at. I wear it so I don't get yelled at, not because I'm afraid of catching a virus. Right. I just You're don't want to get, get shamed. Yeah. In some aspect. Somebody's going to say something to you or look at you funny. Yeah. And and usually it's like somebody like if you run into somebody you know, yeah, that yeah. is obviously like a. I was at Menards and somebody was like Dave Ramsey and I was like, yeah, but I you have a mask on so I have no idea who you are. Yeah, <laughs> I was just at Menards. I I bought these uh, shades right here. That's not bad. They they were I was trying to find shades and um, like I didn't want to spend forty dollars and those are like those clip on. Mm-hmm. Lights for working. Yeah, I just took the shades off and painted oh, them. Looks great. Yeah, um, they made me put on a mask mm-hmm. at Menards. Um, I had one. I have a hang- I have a thing here. That it's I work in that. I work in the I, in the scientific field. So I understand. I'm not saying I'm an expert or anything, but I understand a little bit more that people who are wearing masks incorrectly are probably doing just as much or more damage to themselves and to other people than somebody just not coughing on you. Yeah. You know, I'm like, like I saw uh, somebody posted this thing saying like, um, because you sneezed on the last can of beans, you know, it's like, first of all, I don't go around sneezing on shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. But anyway, um, I don't. When I sneeze and I feel it coming, I blow out all the air in my lungs, so there's no air in my lungs, mm-hmm. and then it's just a little small sneeze. It's yeah. not a full blown go it, right explosion, sneeze. projecting <laughs> your pathogens. If you sneeze with no oxygen in your lungs, then it's a much more containable. Well, I'm like thing. I'm a power sneezer. Yeah, like I I sneeze like it's uh, I'm scaring away bears and shit, <laughs> but like I'll I'll sneeze directly down, and I'll try to cover myself. But so like house parties are not as uh, raging anymore. 
they house shows house, house shows. venues uh, house shows i should say but that's uh back in the 90s i mean some of the best shows i ever played were at keg parties yeah. i mean just people going nuts a packed packed house in somebody's living room and there's a hundred people i remember going i've been nuts. to your shows before i mean back then i remember when we lived on knee jerk uh yeah, we on fourth on knee jerk on we played on fourth street there at my house on the corner of and the... had the front door open like right at iuka park there yeah facing iuka park from fourth street we had the front door open it was a saturday night in the summer but we we're right there in the living room and of course the police came and they were like, oh, we got a call. You guys are pretty loud. Yeah. And I was like, it's cool. In the microphone, well, we'll turn it down. We'll turn it down. He's like, just kind of keep it mellow. And they started walking away. And I was so drunk and young and dumb at yeah. the time. I was in my head. I'm like, oh, they're gone. So I grabbed the microphone. Fuck those police. <laughs> and then they came back. And I was like, oh, no, you got to shut it down now because you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. Which I was an asshole, but I was young and dumb and drunk. 22 so, years old, man. 23. Um, what about, uh, um, so you've been in like, Jesus, like 20 different bands. Those are just the ba- the main ones. Right, there's <laughs> little projects here and there. that <laughs> There's smaller things, yeah, that didn't do a whole lot. Um, do you still talk to all those old people that you were in bands with? Occasionally. Yeah. I mean, on social media, mostly. I one of the last shows I ever played was at Little Brothers, and I was playing with um, this dude Dave. I forget what his last name was, but he was ma- he was married to my friend Risa's mom, Grace from the Blue Danube, hmm. and he was like, "You want to be in a? You want to play bass for my um, Elvisathon?" Hmm. It was in January of two thousand one. Wow. Or no, January of 2000. In January of 2000, because it was right after Y2K. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm playing, uh, I get there, and I didn't have a bass. I was using Dave's bass. I'll try to remember his last name. Um, He was in a band. He was in a, do you remember, do you know who, Um, Scott Gorsuch? Mm-hmm. Scott Gorsuch, uh, he's a really talented songwriter. And he was in a band with his dude Dave. And so I played with both of them at Little Brothers for Elvisathon. And when I get there, I opened up Dave's bass uh, case, and one of the strings was busted. Uh-huh. So I'm like, all right, I'll try to figure it out. You know, <laughs> I, it's, it's workable. Yeah. Because it was like the G string. And so this dude was like this rockabilly guy that was about to play was like, when we're done, you can just use my bass, but it's like a $2,000 bass, and if anything happens to it, right. you know, a big, I'm, I'm going to kick your ass. There's repercussions. Yeah. And um, so I get up there, and I start playing, and and the, the band, uh, they do, um, what do they call it, like flash pods, like these pyrotechnics when hmm. they play. Wow. And there was one that was in this fake piano, and then there was one on the floor that was, or there was two on the floor beside Dave while he was singing. We did How How Great Thou Art, and that's when he stomped on these things that would make the flash pods go up, and it would like, you know, all this shit would come up. Well, when it got to that point, he stomped on it, and all the stuff like came out, the fire, and it caught the ceiling on fire. Nah. 
and Dan Dugan like ran up and was throwing like beer, pitchers of beer and pitchers of water to get put it out and it went out really quickly. Mm. But like all that shit was coming down on that dude's base. Oh my god. I have no idea who this dude is. Oh. And I'm like, "Oh crap, this dude's going to kick my ass." And like uh he didn't. It it was fine. Able to wipe it down enough. But... Yeah, well, it was like like the room cuz you know, you're up on stage and like the 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 smoke was filled half I had it on video and I I don't know what I did with the video cuz it was it was just an awesome event and it was like I think it was before great white burned down that place mm-hmm. out in like Rhode Island or whatever yeah. and killed all those people yeah which was just horrible man just imagine that happening but um how often do you play like when you get home from work or well there's band rehearsal, which is twice a week, with, once with each band. And then Wednesdays I play. I'm off on Wednesdays, so I usually play four or five hours on Wednesdays. So Just by yourself? Yeah. Surprising. Work on stuff for the bands. So that's three days a week probably. Is it hard for you to do that? Like, do you have to force yourself? No, Can you? Do you ever like, be I, like look I just forward. want to sit here and watch TV. I look forward to it. Yeah. Like seriously, I I look forward to the next time that I'm going to be able to play. Yeah. Like every time I'm like, okay, I just got done playing or when's the next time I get to do this? Right. Especially with a band, that's that just feels so much better having that connection with other people. Yeah, man, I miss that. I haven't done that in a long time. I I was playing with uh Billy Rennell. Yeah, I know Billy, yeah. Yeah, we were playing a lot. and He uh, was real good friends with Paul Burns from Knee Jerk Reaction. They were still good friends, yeah. They were jamming together last I heard. Yeah, um, I think they are. I'm not sure. But they, they uh, we started playing, and it was like, I wonder if I can find, I don't know if I can find it. We had some uh, really good stuff going on, and then, you know, just life happens. Mm-hmm. And... uh Whatever. I remember one of the funniest things I heard was like Josh Stoneburner. We worked together for a while back in the late 90s. And we were talking about getting together and playing music. And, and it was like he was talking about how, like, man, I don't know, because it just reminds me of that um, scene in Sling Blade when they're like, let's get the band back together. You know, it's like all these old drunk dudes sitting around playing music. <laughs> But it's like it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, we can. It's st- supposed to be fun. Like I, I do it because I have a good time doing it. It's yeah. fun for me. Right. That's that's why I do it. Solely. You wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. I love doing it. Yeah. it. It brings joy to my heart to play music. Yeah. All right, we're gonna wrap it up. Um, let's see where can people find uh, your music. Try not to die.bandcamp.com or where uh, we have a Facebook page, Try Not to Die, Instagram, YouTube. I think the, the, all the pages are just Try Not to Die. If you search that, it should come up. Uh, Bella Whip has a Facebook page as well. They're releasing a CD. I'm not on because they made it before I started playing with them. But, That's okay. Yeah, I'll be on the next one. There's a CD release coming up for that. Does uh, she have a YouTube channel or mm-hmm. just the Facebook page just right Facebook. now? Bella, Bella Witt. W H I T T. 
It's what kind of music is it? Alternative rock, kind of classic rock, kind of a merge between the two. All right, Dave, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. All right. Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.